church family, you're finding the book of Acts chapter 5. We'll begin reading verse 1 this morning. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. For a few moments, we'll speak to you on this subject, the sin of spiritual deception. The sin of spiritual deception. Acts chapter 5, we'll begin reading verse 1. And I'll invite you to stand in honor uh, for the reading of God's holy word. We're in Acts 5, begin reading verse 1. There the Bible says these words, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and bound her, bound and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would challenge us today and speak to us. And God, I pray that we'll see from this text this morning that, Lord, you see the reality of who we really are before you. We can't hide anything from you. And so I pray for the person who's lost this morning, that you'll help them to see that you know the truth, that they've never really been saved. And the way they die is the way they're going to spend eternity. And I pray, God, this morning, they'll choose while they have time today to turn and trust Christ and receive him as Lord of their life. And God, I pray that you'll shine truth into the heart of every believer this morning, that you see really who we are, and that it's futile to try to pretend and try to spiritually deceive others as to what we're really not. And so, God, I pray today that our lives will truly be in line with our hearts today as we leave this place, that if there's any amount of spiritual deception, pretense in our lives today, that, Father, we'll confess it, we'll forsake it, we'll concur confessing as we yield ourselves to you fresh and anew today. Holy, God, holy, we'll surrender all. That, God, we'll leave this place as you begin to change us into the disciple and follower of Christ that you want us to be. Speak to us now, God, in a powerful way, and we'll give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. We preached the latter part of chapter 5 uh, last week, but I wanted to go back and preach these verses. I really felt led to preach the verses that we felt preached last week when we did. Uh, but I wanted to go back and look at these uh, 11 verses uh, again. Chapter 5 begins, though, with a transition of, of action. Uh, verse 32 of chapter 4 says, now, and again, the church is growing. It's under much persecution, uh, but it's still growing. Verse 32 of chapter 4 says, now, in the multitude uh, of those who believed uh, were with one heart 
and one soul. That is, their lives were grounded in the Word. Uh, they were grounded in the calling of Christ. They had turned away from self, and they were individually who they were, but they were one. There was unity in the church. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now, I will say this. That's, that This wasn't socialism. They still had individual lives. So this was not some commune or socialism, but it was just this. They realized that everything they had truly belonged to the Lord, and their hearts were united together in ministry. Verse 33, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all, nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who had possessions of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed them to each as anyone had need. And so the needs of the church were being met. The gospel was going forward. Uh, and Joseph, Sir Joseph, uh, is, is, is also an interpretation of that, whose name was, this is the guy we know, Barnabas, by the apostles, which is translated the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Now listen, he had some land and he sold it. He felt led by the Lord. He brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And so everybody in the church knew this. They, this, now listen, this, this sets the stage for what Ananias and Sapphira are going to do. And so Barnabas had this, this land. He felt led by the Lord. He sold it. He brought 100% of the proceeds, and he donated it to the church. That's how the Lord uh, had, had led him. Well, the Sanhedrin during this whole time, don't, don't forget this, they were seeking to press the church from the outside. Just what Brother Rom shared uh, by this liberal, wicked judge down in Brazil. Uh, he considered, and friend, I'm telling you, listen, we're, we're ever moving toward the day. We're saying that there's only one name given among men whereby you must be saved. That's going to be labeled hate speech at some point. We're, we're, ever, moving, we're ever moving toward that. And so we see people in Brazil were, were put in jail by this liberal judge. He said, no, what you said was hate speech, so you're going to jail. Well, that's what the Sanhedrin's doing. They're saying, listen... Talk about Jesus all you want to. Everybody knows we killed him, but don't talk about the resurrection. We don't want to hear that he's alive anymore. So you do what you want to, but just don't talk about the resurrection. And so they were seeking to oppress the church from the outside to stop ministry. But now notice this. Satan now in this passage of Scripture, he begins to try to infiltrate the church and destroy ministry from the inside. It wasn't the outside it was from the inside, and he seeks to do this through spiritual deception in the life of Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. It's the sin of spiritual deception, that is, to lie or to rob God uh, of, of glory, uh, to, to yield oneself to pride. I want you to notice these three truths about the sin of spiritual deception. Number one, I want you to notice this, this morning, the futility of deception, the futility of it. To try to deceive God, friend, as to who you really are and what your intentions are in ministry, it's, it's futile because God sees the truth. Again, chapter 4, verse 36, we've seen what Barnabas did. Now notice what happens. And this is, this is always a bad transition when you see this word, but. Everything had been going great. The church was growing. God was getting the glory. Chapter 5, verse 1, but a certain man named Ananias with his wife, uh, Sapphira, they sold a possession. 
and he kept back part of the proceeds. So let's just say he sold, he sold a piece of land for $1,000. And the Bible doesn't give details. I'm just trying to, to add depth to it. And so he keeps 600 of it. But he takes the 400 and he gives it to the church and says, Look, we, we did like Barnabas. We sold this piece of land and here's everything that we made on it. Well, no one knows except those two on earth. But God, God also knew. Well, why would someone do something like that? Why would someone try to pretend or be something in front of their church family that they're really not? Pride. Because of pride. It was motive they, they saw how the church responded to what Barnabas had done, and they wanted that accolade. They didn't want God to get the glory. Barnabas, God accepted his, and he gave God all that. God gave me the land. God led me to do this. Don't cheer for me. I'm just, God told me to do this, and I want him to have all the glory. But Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted that little pat on the back. Well, look, they did too. Look, look, what, look what they've done. They were motivated by pride, and they were motivated to deceive. They, they wanted that, that fame. But the Bible bears out here, friend, listen, they didn't have to give it. They didn't have to sell the land, and they didn't have to give, and they didn't have to lie about what happened. And friend, when they lied, they really weren't lying to the church. Don't miss this. They were lying to God. They said that this, this, this is what we're, we're give, this is what God led us to do, and this is what we're doing. And so the real, the, the real sin in spiritual deception is not that you're deceiving someone else. It's that you're lying to God. Because God sees the truth and he really knows. Friend, I don't know, you can fool man for a little while. And I will say this. You can try to pretend to be spiritual, but I promise you, because I've seen it in ministry over these past years, you can fool people for a little while, but I promise you at some point the truth's going to come out. It's going to come out, and it'll usually come out in pressure. You can pretend to be saved, and I promise you, Matthew 7, 22, Jesus will see it at the judgment's great white throne. You won't make it to the judgment seat. The truth will come out. But you can try to be holy, righteous while you're in ministry. And I promise you, at some point within the life of the church, the real you is going to show up. Now, you may have a following of people who don't want to see the truth. They know the truth. They look away from the truth because they don't want it to be true. But I promise you, friend, the truth will come out. Those that have any amount of perception and wisdom will see the truth. And so the truth came out about them. They didn't have to lie. They tried to fool man, but you can't fool God. People do it all the time, trying to act holy, act a certain way. God knows the truth. Pray big flowery prayers. God knows the truth. You can try to act saved, but God knows the truth. Jeremiah 17, 10. You ought to write that down in the corner of your Bible by Acts chapter 5. Listen to what God says to the prophet Jeremiah. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Friend, listen to me this morning. It is futile. It is foolish. You are wasting your time to try to pretend to be something spiritual that you're not. That's why Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, I wish you were cold rather than lukewarm. Why would Jesus tell a group of people, I wish that you realized you were lost? Because, friend, listen... You, then you can actually lead somebody to Christ. One of the great problems here in the South is trying to witness to the good Baptist. 
it's the person that's joined the church, it's being convinced just by joining the church and have given middle assent to that Christ died on the cross, that he rose again, they're a good God-fearing person, they take their hat off for the national anthem, they, they take their hat off and bow their head for prayer, they, they, they believe in prayer, and when something's wrong, they want to be put on the prayer list. They've got all these ties, these outward spiritual things that, that they've tied themselves to and, and that they believe it's going to make them right before God. But friend, listen, the truth is this. They've never been born again. And you can't lead that lost kind of person to Christ because the devil has convinced them by just being tied to the church that it's, it's good enough. And the only way you can reach them, friend, is for the Holy Spirit of God to truly convict them that they're lost. Nobody gets saved until they realize they're lost and in need. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. I can't shame you. I can't, I've known pastors have tried to emotionalize invitations and, and, and try to move people. You, friend, listen, only the Holy Spirit can convict you you're lost. Only He can do it. And so Jesus said to that church, Laodicea, I wish you were cold rather than lukewarm so that then you could get hot. How could that be? That you could be saved and then be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you this morning, listen to me, as sure as your name's what it is and my name's Chad Chandler, God sees who you are before Him today. If you've never been saved, he sees you as lost. He knows the truth. And the truth's what it is. If you're saved, but you're backslidden sin, you can try to make everybody think, your family, your mom, your dad, your spouse, everybody around you think that you're right. But God sees the truth. He knows who you are. And so it is futile. It is futile to try to move forward in deception. And if you really think about it, friend... It, it, how foolish it is to try to pretend to be something before a holy God that he sees that you're not. But what would keep a person in the life of a church family, listen to me this morning, moving forward in lostness while they're trying to make everybody think they're saved? Pride. Pride. Well, I just don't want them to find out the truth. What would keep a person from truly repenting and getting all in, pride. Pride. But we need to see this morning, first off, friend, the futility of deception. I can't say it strong enough and straight enough. Listen to me this morning. Everybody look up here at me. God sees and knows the real you. He knows who you are this morning. He sees the real you. And he saw Ananias and Sapphira. Number two, notice this morning, the fatality that results from spiritual deception. The fatality that results. Well, the Bible says that they brought it in when they were having a church service. Verse number 3, And Peter looked at Ananias and said, "Why? Maybe they were passing the plate. Maybe he came and laid it down, you know, at, at, just at the front of the church. But Peter realized through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part. And friend, listen, the real lie is not to the church. It's to the Holy Spirit of God. He's trying to tell you who you are, but you're trying to convince him and everybody else that you're something else. He said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Verse number four, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? He says, you didn't have to do any of these things. You didn't have to sell it. 
and you didn't have to give it. Why, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. Then Ananias, hearing these things, listen, he fell down and breathed his last. Now, friend, I want you to listen to me. He didn't faint. His blood pressure medicine wasn't out of whack. He, graveyard dead, died. That is, his soul left his body. He died. Right in the middle of the church service, whoom, he collapsed on the floor and he fell dead. And it's interesting to me, look at verse number 6, they had a burial committee. I mean, it was just like, you know, workers in the nursery. You know, so a kid throws up on the floor and, you know, a bunch of men would just be going nuts. Like, what are we going to do? Well, these ladies, they just come. One goes over and they begin to clean it up and spray some stuff on the floor and just go right about their business. You know, it's just no big deal. Moving right on with ministry. Well, that's what happened here. These young men arose, and they just wrapped him up, carried him out, and they buried him. I mean, the service just went right on. Well, Sapphira returns three hours later, his wife. And the Bible lends itself when verse 8 says, and, and Peter answered her. Uh, verse 7 says, three hours, his wife comes in, not knowing what had happened, didn't know Ananias was dead. And maybe she asked, you know, where's Ananias? What, what, what's, what's going on? Everybody looked at her and said, I'm sorry. We don't know. But we do know this, that Peter answered her, whatever it was, says, tell me. me. He, didn't, he didn't entertain anything else. He just looked at her and, listen, God gave her a second chance. That's what you need to see right now. She had entered in together with Ananias. He didn't have a second chance. But God's given her a second opportunity at life. He's given her an opportunity to escape the fatality that results from spiritual deception. And so God's testing her, but now don't miss this, on the other side, Satan's tempting her. And say, well, they're, listen, they're not going to find out. She doesn't, listen, she doesn't know what's happened to Ananias yet. She has no clue. All she knows is she's being confronted with the truth. Peter answered her and said, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. It, there, it was an opportunity to test. Look at verse 9. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? And friend, that's what you... When, when you enter into spiritual deception, you and the devil in league together, that is to try to pretend to be something that you're not. You need to understand this this morning because some of you may be drifting off into la-la land already. This isn't about giving of money. That's what it represented in their life. It comes down, friend, under the, under, under the shed of spiritual deception, trying to be something before God and man that you're not in your heart. And, so, and, and there's a fatality that results in that. And when you do that... You're, you're tempting God. Well, God's not going to judge me. God won't hold me accountable. God won't chasten me. I'll get away with it. No one's going to know whatsoever. Peter says, how is it you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And I just want to say with them, you know, you think an hour and 15 minutes is long. Friend, they had three hours service with two funerals and kept going. 
And so the burial committee's making their way back. She hears their feet, and she falls dead. She falls dead. But don't you listen to me. God takes sin seriously. We're living in a day where sin is classified, and it's been whitewashed, and people tried to turn away. And, and much of that has happened through media, television shows, the world, through music. Satan tries to normalize sins that God hates. To make it, to make it acceptable. Uh, I saw a, a commercial the, the, the other day uh, that had two men on it, holding their, holding their child together. And children are trying to be brought up now that that's normal. Friend, it's, it's not. But I'm telling you, friend, far beyond that, for years it's been happening this way. The, the media and the world are trying to tell people it's okay for a man and woman to live together out of the wedlock. I promise you, if I'd have gone forward this morning and said homosexuality is a sin, most of the church would have said amen. But if I would have said right after that, a man and a woman living together out of wedlock is just as sinful, only a quarter of the church would have said amen. Because everybody's got a granddaughter, son, or nephew that's shacked up. Listen, the divorce rate's down. The reason why is nobody gets married anymore. And that's just been normalized. That it's okay. And most family members won't stand up. They just roll on with it. And then they make those people think it's normal because they don't want anybody in their family to be upset with them. And so we're living in a time where sin's just normalized. And friend, we need to be reminded from God's Word that God hates sin. What Butch sang about this morning, sin nailed Jesus to the cross. It was because of sin that God sent His Son to die in our place. God hates sin. And God hates pretense. God despises, listen to me, when people roll into church and try to act like everything's okay in their life when it's not. We're singing amen, can't wait for the day, praise the Lord, Jesus died on the cross. In just a few moments, friend, we're going to sing, I surrender all. And I want to tell you something. God knows whether those words really are true reflection of your heart. We sung it for you. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, I humbly give. And we'll sing it. But God knows whether it really reflects your heart or not. And if it doesn't, friend, listen, what comes out of your mouth, the Bible says, God hates. He absolutely hates. Amos chapter 5. Write those verses down, verses 21 through 27. Prior to the 722 B.C. judgment of the northern kingdom, God called a preacher from the south from Judah by the name of Amos. He was a farmer, just an old country preacher, but he was faithful to the Word of God. And the northern kingdom, they were just going through the motions. They were rolling in to the tabernacle. They were, they were rolling in with their offerings. They were rolling in to all the feasts. While yet still friendless and straddling the fence and holding hands with Baal. And from the outside and from their voice, everything sounded wonderful. In verse number 21, God speaks a word to those people, listen, who were practicing spiritual deception. God says, I hate, I despise your feast days. I will not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I won't accept them. Nor will I regard your fat and peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. 
God says, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like mighty streams. Did you not offer me sacrifice and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel, and also carried sick off your king and chin on your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves? God says, therefore, I will send you into captivity on Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. God says, when we stand and sing, I surrender all, oh, how I love Jesus. All these songs, friend, that are to reflect a surrendered heart to God, God says, when those words don't reflect a truly committed heart, I hate the words that come out of your mouth. Why? Because it's spiritual deception. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. You're not lying to your neighbor next to you. You're lying to God. You're saying, God, I surrender all to you. I'm following Jesus. Matthew 6, you're sitting on the throne of my heart, but God knows whether that's true or not. And Satan led Ananias and Sapphira to think nobody's ever going to find out, and he does the same today. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to find out. Nobody will ever know the truth. But God saw, God hated, and those people died. God's serious about sin, especially at new beginnings. Leviticus chapter 10, the tabernacle's just been constructed. At the end of chapter 9, we see the fire from God fall. And then at the beginning of chapter 10, we see strange fire that the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, they bypassed the word of God and tried to offer strange fire that they couldn't do. And then we saw the judgment fire fall. I mean, and God fried them like French fries right there. They died because of spiritual deception. They were trying to be something that they weren't and they couldn't be. Joshua chapter 7. Achan kept, kept back the things that he couldn't keep. He hid them. And he and his whole family, they died. It was, it was a new beginning and God took it serious. Death is always the result of sin. And listen, spiritual deception is sin. You need to hear that this morning. To try to be something before God that you're not. It's sin. It's spiritual deception. You're lying to God. You're telling God, I'm all in. I'm following Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God, though your heart, soul, mind, strength. You shall love your neighbors, yourself. God, that's me. I'll follow Jesus all the way. God sees your heart and he knows whether that's true or not. And so try, to try to be something that you're not, it's sin before God. And death's always the result of sin. First off, there's a death of growth. If you've been saved and you're practicing spiritual deception in any way, it's the death of growth. Psalm 66, verse 18. You will not grow anymore as a disciple until you deal with the sin. You'll stay stagnant where you're at. There's a death of God's joy. Psalm 51. David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. When unrepented sin rested on David's life, he lost the joy. Friend, I'll submit to you again, the most miserable person you'll meet, it's not a lost person, it's a saved person that's out of fellowship with God. They have no joy whatsoever. There's a death of joy. There's a death of testimony. You will lose your testimony before men. You're not, because the truth's going to come out. Listen, wise people who are in tune with God and filled with the Spirit, they're going to begin to notice the truth. And you're going to lose your spiritual influence. It was, the same, it was the case for Demas. 
Philemon 1.24, Paul says, Philemon's one of my fellow laborers. That's what he sent back. So they all, Demas greets you. There's a man by Demas that got saved. And, and Paul says, he's a fellow laborer. He's just like us. But then in Colossians 4.14, it just says, Demas greets you. Something's happened. Now he's gone from a fellow laborer to Paul's noticing something in his life that's not right. He said he was going to follow Jesus all the way. He said he was an old mission Christian. He said he had stepped away from the world. But now he's just, he says hi. Then Paul's last letter in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Demas has forsaken me. He says he's turned away. What happened? The truth came out. And he lost his testimony. He lost his testimony. Friend, you may not live long enough to get your testimony back. But sin will cause you to lose your testimony. You'll lose your influence. Genesis chapter 19, verse 14. God had had enough with Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot, all of a sudden, though he had pitched his tent towards Sodom, he moved towards Sodom. Now he's sitting at the gate of Sodom as a leader in the community. Now all of a sudden he begins to try to dust his Bible off because God's about to blow the city up. And he, listen to me, he tried to talk to his family and had spiritual influence and his son-in-laws, they laughed at him. Why? Because for years he'd been something else. He had ridden the fence in front of them for years. And he lost the opportunity to have spiritual influence in their life. When you practice spiritual deception, friend, listen, your family's going to see the truth. You may fool some people here at church who only see every now and then, but I promise you, your family knows the real you. Your spouse knows the real you. And I want to tell you this, your co-workers know the real you. And you lose the opportunity when those crisis moments come to be able to be an omission Christian. Because you have a loss of spiritual influence. There'll be a death of hell. If you fail to repent of spiritual deception, friend, listen, God will begin to afflict your body. Did you ever think, friend, a lot of the things that Christians experience spiritually, sometimes it's possible that God has afflicted you to try to turn you in the direction you'll go, and some Christian that wouldn't know Genesis from Revelation will probably come to you and say, you know, well, God will never put on you more than you can bear. The Bible says so. The Bible doesn't say that. God will put on you more than you can bear to try to drive you to your knees and to turn you back to Him in submission and surrender. But somebody that's out of the will of God, they'll call the church. They won't be on the prayer list. They want total healing. I want to ask you a question this morning. Everybody listen to me. If you're out of fellowship with God and you're not living holy for Him, why would God heal you so that you can keep serving the devil? You ever thought about that? If you're not living for the Lord Jesus Christ in full surrender, why would God heal you so that you can just keep serving the devil? There'll be a death of hell if you've got unrepented sin in your life. But Ananias and fire show us there can also be, friend, just death. 1 John 5, 16 says, There is for the child of God, and this isn't preached much anymore, rarely if ever, there's a sin unto death. You still belong to God if you've been saved. You're His child. But friend, you can so sin against God and keep walking away from God that He will kill you and take you home to heaven. It's like a, a mother and her 
child that go to a birthday party. And the mother tells the child, listen, you're my child. Don't embarrass me today at this party. Don't you embarrass me. You behave. Sit at the table. Act like you've got some sense. And then we'll go home when the party's over. You're my child and I love you, but don't embarrass me today. Well, they get to the party, and the child starts climbing on the furniture, and the mother pulls him to the side and says, this isn't our house. You're embarrassing me. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Well, they, they go and they sit at the table, and every time the mother of the birthday child tries to light the candles, that kid sits there and blows them out. And the mother jerks him to a side and says, you're embarrassing me. Stop that. You're not to be acting like that. And then when they're about to cut the cake, he just he throws, he throws his whole drink right in the middle of the cake. And the mother grabs that child and pulls him over to the side and says, the party's over, it's time to go home. And they leave. And friend, that's the sin unto death. You can so reject the Word of God and reject the, the, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and the call of the Holy Spirit to repent and to be all in and to keep running and running and running, friend, to when God will grab you by the arm and say, the party's over, you're going home. That's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They sinned to sin unto death. They were believers. We'll see them in heaven one day, but God killed them because they would not repent. I realize, friend, we're living in a day when most churches, most churches have whitewashed sin. Because we just talk about the love of God. The love of God. And friend, God is love, but God is holy. And God hates sin. And so God will never allow His children to sin successfully. Third, I want you to notice, and I close this morning, the fear, the fear that followed. The fear that followed. Well, the Bible says in verse number... 5 of Acts chapter 5, that Ananias, after he heard these things, he fell down, he breathed, he's laughed. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Well, I reckon so. Fear came. Look at verse number 11. Sapphira comes back. She falls dead. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Yeah, try to share that. You know, you go down to the to the factory the next day. Well, what'd you do this weekend? You know, just the normal stuff. Saturday's in the week. Enjoyed being home with my family. Sunday, it's the Lord's Day. Nothing else I'm going to do but go to church. So I went to church. Well, well how was your service? I mean, it was, it was different. Well, two people died during the service. <laughs> Why? Well, because they lied to God. Well, man, let's go to that church. But there was such a revival, friend, that was taking place in the hearts and lives of those people, God dealt seriously with the sin that was in the, the lives of the other membership. He dealt seriously with it. And there was a fear that followed. And again, I know we're living in a day where it's all about, you know, love. And, and, and love is why, friend, listen, God sent His Son because He loves you. But, but, friend, listen, but it's not just because of love. It's also because of holiness and it's because of sin. Because we're sinful and we're unholy and God wants us to be holy so that we can be accepted in His sight. And there's an, under, there's an over-preaching of the love of God and an under-preaching and teaching of the holiness and righteousness of God. And that's why people just walk around thinking anything goes. Just do whatever, whatever makes you happy. 
you know, follow your heart and it's all right. No, friend, follow the Word of God. The Word of God is to be a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Not my heart. We're to follow the Lord. And so there was, there was a fear that began to, to break out in the hearts and lives of those that were wholly committed. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And we're living in a day, friend, we're listening, where God's just been pushed aside as some you know, celestial Santa Claus that we just, we just call on when we really, really need Him. You know, when we're, we're controllers of our, our own destiny. Not so, friend. He is holy God, Jehovah. He stands alone in the white light of His own holiness. And friend, I want to remind you, you couldn't draw your next breath just like Ananias and Sapphira realized all too quickly unless God allowed it. You couldn't do it. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To have the fear of the Lord that began to develop in the hearts and lives of these disciples is a reverential awe and respect and knowledge for who God is and who we are not. They began to realize, man, who they, who they were. They were nothing. They were nobody. He was holy God, all-powerful. The love of all, the fear of God is also defined when, when God's children hold their father in reverence and will not deliberately disobey him or try his patience. And when you practice the sin of spiritual deception, friend, listen, you're trying God's patience. Just like the little kid that kept doing the things that they weren't supposed to do, the mother was being patient, but she was trying his patience, and the mother, she dealt with him. And I'm telling you, if you continue on in spiritual deception, God will deal with you. He'll deal with you. And there ought to be fear that marks your heart and life. How did all this happen? How did that happen to Ananias and Sapphira? Why will people, listen to me, why would someone here this morning whose life is marked by spiritual pretense, you're telling everybody you're saved, you're pretending you're saved, but you know you're really lost. Why would someone keep living that way? Because of pride. Because of pride. Why would someone who's, who's in ministry for the wrong reasons, whose life really isn't all together, they're not an all-in disciple, there's private sin they're not dealing with, why would they keep trying to act like everything's okay and everything's all together at the church when they realize their life's not because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit? Show them it's not. Why would they keep trying to live that way? Because of pride. They're worried absolutely to death what someone's going to think about them. When motivate, motivated by pride, we will become more concerned about our reputation rather than our Christian character. You're worried to death what everybody's going to think about you. And we'll do whatever it takes to look good in front of others. We become more concerned of what our peer group thinks than what God thinks. And I told you last week, I've seen that in the past year. I've seen disciples of Christ make decisions outwardly. You could see the fruit. And they were making those decisions because they were more concerned what their peer group was going to think about them and say about them than what God thinks about them. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the Word of God says. But if your main concern is... Well, what, what, are, what's, what, what, what are my people? What are my people going to think? That's what Ananias and Sapphira thought. What are they going to think about? Oh, it's going to be great. 
Don't miss this. Sapphira was standing before the whole church. They were looking at her the way you're looking at me right now. Nobody else helped him but me. That's the way Sapphira was. Peter was standing with them. His back was to them. She was, everybody was gazing on Sapphira. Because Ananias is dead. So everybody's watching her. And they're probably wondering, does she know? Has she heard? Was she in on this? What's happened? What's she going to say? And listen, Peter gives her the opportunity. God does. Don't miss this. She has the opportunity to repent and live. Peter says, did you do this? And so it's, it's time to make a decision. She has to admit the truth and repent or try to push on with the lie. And she looked at her church family just like I'm looking at you. And she saw all those lies, eyes looking back. She said, what are they going to say? What are they going to think if I tell the truth? And because she was more concerned what they thought then what God thought, she carried on with her spiritual pretense and she missed God's best. God killed her and took her to heaven. And you may be here this morning, listen to me, and you've never been saved. I want to ask you, I want you to look at Everybody look at me. Quit, some of you are looking down. You're looking at the back of your pew. Look at me. I can still see your eyes. can't see your nose, but I can see your eyes. Have you truly been saved and born again? Has there ever really been a moment where you've truly repented and you've trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? Has there ever been, just like Peter asked Sapphira, I'm asking you a question. Have you ever really been saved? God knows the truth. God knew the truth about her and God knows the truth about you. And you would be a fool to leave this place this morning. Lost the way you came in. Because you're worried to death what somebody's going to say about you this morning if you trust Christ to be Lord of your life and you leave this place safe today. You'd be a fool. Don't, don't leave practicing spiritual deception. I'll ask you a second question. Everybody look at me. Is Jesus truly Lord of your life? Not by the world's definition, but by the Bible's definition. Have you forsaken all Luke 9, 23. And are you following Jesus Christ daily? You've taken up your cross, and Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of your time. He's Lord of your finances. He's Lord of your talents. He's Lord of your possessions. He's Lord of your family. He's Lord of your retirement. He's Lord of all. Is Jesus really Lord of all in your life today? God knows the truth. Now you're going to leave this place the way you came if He's not Lord? Are you going to get right with God today and seize the opportunity that He's given you? He knows the truth. It's futile. It's futile to continue on. You've never been baptized because you really got saved after you were baptized before. Baptism comes after salvation. Are you going to get that right in the right order today? Or are you going to worry about what somebody's going to say about you? Have you gone last week or the week before I ask you to imagine somebody you know that's not saved, drowning in the fires of hell. Have you gone and witnessed to him yet? You told God you would. You said you were going to tell God that you would. We've been studying to live on mission on Sunday nights. Have you been going to put those structures in place so that you can live on mission? Have you done that? You told God you would. If you don't have those structures in place and you're not doing that, why not get that in the right order today? Because God knows the truth. 
He knows that you haven't done it yet. If you're not reading your Bible every day, you know, don't just nod your head that you know you need to. Why are you not setting that in place? Why are you not putting aside that time? God knows the truth. He knows the truth. The invitation is this, friend. Everybody look at me. If you're deceiving God today, trying to, deceiving man, but trying to deceive God, trying to make everybody think there's something in your life, that this is you, but it's really not you. This is you. Look right here. That's you. Hear people say, well, God knows my heart. You bet you. You ever had anybody say that to you before? Well, God knows my heart. You're exactly right. If what's out here isn't really what's in here, why not get what's in here in line with what is out here and let God take this and really make it a full reality? Stop practicing the sin of spiritual deception because God sees the truth. And if you truly belong to him, friend, listen to me. He's going to take you to the woodshed and he may just end up taking you home. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to sing in just a moment, have the opportunity to hear, I surrender all. I surrender all. Have you surrendered all? Turned from sin and trusted Christ. Has there truly ever been a moment where you've repented and trusted Christ to be Lord of your life? If not, I don't care whether you've been a member of this church for 75 years or this is your first time here this morning. Do business with God. And be saved right now. Choose to turn from all the sin that's in your life. Surrender your life to Christ, to His Lordship. Trust Him to be Lord of your life. And friend, He'll take you. He'll give you spiritual life and begin to mold you and shape you into the person He wants you to be. But it's about what you choose to do in your heart. If you want to be saved, tell God so right now. Silently from your heart, just like this. Say, oh God, forgive me a sinner. You've convicted me that I need to be saved. I concur, I confess my sin, and I trust Jesus to be Lord of my life. I'm turning from sin and turning to you. Now change me and make me into the person you want me to be. My life is yours. I'm going to stand here at the front in just a moment. If you prayed that prayer, I invite you to come. I asked you a question just a minute ago, church. Is Jesus Lord of your life? He knows the answer. If he's not, would you not forsake whatever sin, whatever idols you've replaced him with? Turn from it and trust him to be Lord of your life afresh and anew today. Recommit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and leave today with no pretense. Leave following Christ. Surrender all to him today. Father, speak to your church. Challenge us. And God, I know even right now, Satan is at work telling someone, lunch will be in just a little bit. They'll sing the song and it'll be over. It's just another invitation. It's just another invitation. God, I pray your Holy Spirit will speak louder. I pray he'll speak louder. And Father, I pray where repentance is needed today, Father, it'll be demonstrated. And Lord, every person that leaves this building today will be saved, and fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. No spiritual pretense or hypocrisy in this church, but just surrendered lives to the Lordship of Christ. That's my prayer. Oh, challenge your church now. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed.